Good morning. Certainly good to see everyone this Lord's Day morning. A little cloudy and dreary outside. We're thankful that we have a place to come and worship. As always, we have visitors among us, and we're thankful for your presence here this morning. We appreciate the songs that have been sung. We appreciate the prayers that have been led and the kind words by so many. As you know, I'm not the normal preacher here. Uh, Brother Joel and his family, as well as some of the others, are traveling today and, and the first part of this week up to Sevierville area for polishing the pulpit, uh, annual thing that has gone on for several years that uh, many gained so much from, and we appreciate <clears throat> the opportunity to stand before you this morning and again this afternoon, Lord willing, to share a message from God's holy word. If you will be turning your Bibles in the book to the book of Genesis, we'll begin there in just a moment. Apologize again for our screens not being uh, operable at this time. We're continuing to work on that and to try to determine the best course of action there. Uh, nothing seems to be easy anymore, and we're we're thankful for your patience in that regard. Title this lesson this morning in the form of a question: Does God really mean what He says? Now you may be thinking, well, how? crazy as that to think that God doesn't mean what he says well it's some somewhat of a rhetorical question and uh, we want to answer that here in a moment with a few Old Testament examples you if you've been in any classes that I've led before or heard me uh, speak before you know how I love to study the Old Testament because uh, it's where we see God in living color uh, God dealing with man, often one-on-one -on -one and with groups of people and with nations and all those sorts of things. And I, my, my submission to you is that, yes, we can be acceptable Christians. We can be successful in that uh, without the Old Testament. But I believe because of the Old Testament, we can have a much richer, fuller uh, understanding of the New Testament and those sorts of things. And this morning, we want to look at the Old Testament as an example. You know, Paul, in a couple of his letters, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and Romans 15 and 4 and other places, he, he gives us the idea that these things were preserved for us. These Old Testament uh, accounts, scriptures, uh, were preserved for us to serve as an example to us. Many of the things that we uh, read about in the Old Testament, and we'll talk about here in a moment, are things that we don't want to endure. Those are things, punishments and, and consequences for actions and decisions that we do not, would not want to sign up for. But we don't have to because we have these examples and we can learn, hopefully learn from those things. You know, we live in a world where very few people actually mean what they say anymore. Politicians make all kinds of campaign promises saying whatever it takes to get elected. Corporate CEOs tell employees, and they tell Wall Street, whatever it takes to boost their profits. Husbands and wives say, till death do us part, but nearly half of all marriages end in divorce. Moms and dads oftentimes tell their kids that they'll spend more time with them, work less, focus on important things. It seems like we have to have lawyers and contracts to legally force people to do what they say. Gone are the days, unfortunately, wherein a man's word is his bond and a handshake seals the deal. Is it any wonder then that 
many people put God in that same category with others that they come in contact with, treating his word as if it's open for private one's private interpretation, subject to change or simply unknowable. Passage that's very familiar to us, Jesus in his, towards the end of his Sermon on the Mount, keep, uh, you, you'll remember this and know this passage, Matthew 7, verses 21 through 23. Jesus there says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who work, practice, or practice lawlessness. You know, our eternity depends on accepting the fact that the Lord means what he says. Point number one in our lesson, if you have the bullet, then you can like to fill in these blanks here. Did God mean what he said to Adam and Eve? Look at Genesis chapter 2. We'll read verses 16 and 17. In the perfection of the Garden of Eden, there were two special trees that we read about in Scripture. Genesis 2, verse 16, beginning. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Look at Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that in the day if you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband and with her, and he ate. Look at um, verse 22. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us. To know good and evil, and now lest he put it out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man, and he placed cherubim at the east of the garden of Eden, and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way of the tree of life. We also talk about we've been studying Isaiah in our adult class here in the auditorium in the morning of uh, Sunday morning Isaiah 59 verses 1 and 2 reminds us that uh, it's our sin that separates us from God you know the question that comes to us did God mean what he said to Adam and Eve how would you answer that based on what we just read absolutely he meant what he said to Adam and Eve we see that they knew what God's word was, but yet they were enticed. They were drawn away, and we know the rest of that account. 
Point number two, did God mean what he said to Nadab and Abihu? Nadab and Abihu. Look at Leviticus chapter 1, verse 7. You remember Nadab and Abihu, these two men, sons of Aaron, high priest. <clears throat> the sons of Aaron, the priest, shall put fire on the altar and lay the wood in order on the fire. That's God's word. Turn forward to Leviticus chapter 6, verse 13. This is God's instruction concerning the fire on the altar. A fire shall always be burning on the altar. It shall never go out. In Leviticus 16, verse number 12. Talking about what the, the uh, priest would do. Then he shall take a censer full of burning coals of fire from the altar before the Lord with his hands full of sweet incense but uh, beaten fine and bring it inside the veil. That was God's instruction concerning the fire on the altar. Now, back up to Leviticus chapter 10. Leviticus chapter 10 verses 1 and 2. Then Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it, put incense on it, and offered profane or unauthorized, also translated strange or foreign, fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. Verse 2, so fire went out from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. You know, what do we see here? Very tragic ending to Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron. They transgressed the divine command regarding the altar by offering unholy fire before God. In Hebrew, the expression is literally strange or foreign fire. This established the principle that when God has commanded a specific action, the doing of something else additionally or instead of what he commanded is the worst form of disobedience. Theirs was a flagrant piece of disobedience and disloyalty to God. These men were virtually saying, our fire is as good as yours, God. We don't need yours. Point number three. Question comes, did God mean what he said to Naaman? To Naaman. Second Kings chapter 5. Verse 1, beginning. We're familiar with this man, Naaman, aren't we? Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master, because by him the Lord had given great victory to Syria. He was also a mighty man of valor. Pause there for a second. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? He sounds like someone who would be extolled and celebrated. But what are the next three words? But a leper. Leprosy, we know, in, the, in this time was a death sentence, wasn't it? People didn't, didn't, get, they didn't get cured of leprosy. There was no cure. Thankfully today, we, it's not very widespread. We call it Hansen's disease, and it, it is in part, some parts of the undeveloped world, but thankfully there is a, a cure. 
You remember how the little maiden from Israel tells Naaman's wife that about this prophet that can, can cure him of his leprosy? And so he makes preparation, Naaman makes preparation, carries his entourage and his gifts and all that, and comes to Elisha's door. Verse 10, 2 Kings chapter 5, Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored to you, and you shall be clean. Verse 11, But Naaman became furious. King James says wroth. And he went away and said, Indeed, I said to myself, He will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and heal the leprosy. Are not the Abana and the Farfar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. And his servants came near and spoke to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more then when he says to go wash and be clean? Let's pause there for a moment. You know, as I was reading that, I've read it hundreds of times. It's probably you have as well. Very familiar with the, the account of Naaman. You notice he heard the word that was given to him, but he came, became mad. He got angry. You know, I find it interesting that the human nature, oftentimes when we're confronted with the truth, that's our reaction, isn't it? Many people in the world today read God's word concerning things that God would have us to know and to do, and they get mad. Maybe you've been in a discussion with someone on a religious matter and what you've told them from God's word was absolutely correct, but they got mad. It's interesting how that works. Verse 14. So he went down and dipped seven times in the Jordan according to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. We look at these three, and we could go on with many more examples. We look at these three as the basis of our discussion this morning. And we ask ourselves the question, did God mean what he said in these the people in these examples? And I think the, the answer has to come back. Absolutely meant what he said. Point number four in our lesson today, question comes, does God still mean what he says today? today does God still mean what he says today about the necessity of obedience God's way is always best and is for man's good there are many examples in God's word showing us that obedience results in God's blessings on the opposite side of that coin disobedience results in death sometimes physical death in the case of Nadab and Abihu always spiritual death separation from God faith comes by hearing the word of God Romans 10 17 and without faith it's impossible to please him Hebrews 11 and verse 6 but not quote-unquote faith only as many religiously teach today it is obedience motivated by faith you've heard brother Bill say so many times saving faith is acting faith you can't get beyond that. It's, you have to do something with it. Does God still mean what he says today about baptism? You know, Jesus said in Mark 16, 16, He that believeth and is baptized 
shall be saved. You can't get around that. Many people today, though, would believe and teach otherwise. Does God still mean what he says today about the church? Jesus there in John 4 and verse 24 said, God is a spirit. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. We worship in the church, the, the, the mechanism, the body that God had prophesied. We've been talking about it from Isaiah. Jesus in Matthew 16, 18 said, Upon this rock, the confession that I am the Son of God, I will build my church. I'm sorry I got ahead of myself there. John 4, 24 concern, is concerning our worship. Does God mean what he says today about worship? Worship in spirit and in truth. John 17, 17 says God's word is truth. So with regard to truth, we must worship in the way that God's word has specified. Worship that is acceptable to God must be worship authorized by God. For example, we've been talking about this lately. When God commands his church to sing, that does not also mean play instruments of music additionally or instead of the singing. God is very specific. We see that in the Old Testament. We see that in the New Testament. Does God still mean what he says today about judgment? Because God does not immediately render judgment like he did many times in the Old Testament on people today, many falsely believe that he has changed, that he has softened his view of sin and its consequences, the consequences of disobedience. Remember I said a moment ago, those who would get God's blessings are those who are obedient. Those who disobey receive God's punishment. Thankfully today, he's long-suffering toward us. He doesn't necessarily punish sin in real time. Now, there are consequences to our sin that we need to be mindful of, but he's reserved judgment until the day of judgment. One, it's not his will that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. So, People today think that God has changed or softened his view of sin. You know something, that's what Satan wants us to think. Remember back in Genesis 3, verse 4, where, where Satan said to Eve, You shall not surely die. You see, the point is that if he can get you to question God's word, question God's authority, he's won a great victory. A victory that he's winning in in way too many Christian lives today. Paul would tell the church in Corinth, this is 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 10, we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ that each one of us may receive the things done in the body, whether it be good or they be good or evil. Are you not thankful that we've got God's word preserved for us today? I am. There's a lot of scripture in there that we maybe wish that wasn't in there because it, it is pretty hard. It is not pleasant to think about. But yet, just as in these Old Testament examples, we see God does mean what he says. We need to take 
confidence in that. Come back this afternoon at 1.30, and Lord willing, we're going to talk about the, the lesson is entitled, I'm Glad That God Means What He Says. We'll look at several things, several concepts from the Bible where we as Christians can be glad that God's Word means what it says. I trust that through our examination of a few examples from God's Holy Word, you can see that God does mean what He says. Remember what the passage we opened with, Matthew 7. Jesus said, Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. You want to know who's going to be in heaven? Jesus just told us. Those who do the will of God will be in heaven. Thank you for your presence this morning. I hope that these examples from the Old Testament have served as a reminder to you, maybe have spurned uh, thoughts in your mind that you had forgotten. Thankful that we don't share any new information. We don't have to. God's Word has provided all that we need that pertains to life and godliness. This morning, if you're here not a Christian, would you not believe that God's Word means what it says concerning your salvation, concerning your forgiveness concerning eternity believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God based upon that faith you're willing to act to repent of your sins to confess the wonderful name before this group continue to confess him daily in the way that you live your life be baptized in water meeting the cleansing blood that washes away sin Christ will add you to his church Jesus gives us a wonderful promise in Revelation 2 and verse 10. For those who have done those things, be faithful unto death. I will give you the crown of life. That's how you become a Christian. That's how your sins are washed away. That's how you set your feet on the path to eternity in heaven. We also recognize that among this group of people, there may be some who have done that in times past, but you've allowed uh, sin to take your mind, your eyes, your goal off of heaven. As we said earlier, Satan is, a, is deceitful. Sin is cunning and deceitful and can draw away the faithful oftentimes. You have opportunity to make that right this morning. If it's of public nature, it needs to be taken care of in that way. We'll be willing to pray with you and for you and knowing that God will forgive. If you're subject to the Lord's invitation this morning, would you come as we stand and as we sing?